Flypaniacs, welcome back to Flyperbole. I am your host, Steve Jacot, and, well, you know that. You've listened to my voice for countless episodes at this point. I don't need to introduce myself anymore. But this is my two-hour discussion of The Batman. We're just going to get into it and talk about The Batman for two hours, because that movie is three hours, so you have to dedicate at least two-thirds of the movie to talking about it. No, we're not going to talk about The Batman for two hours, but I am uh, delighted to have uh, a a first-time flaper here today, Ryan Quigley, who is uh, fresh off of the Olympics and ready to talk about some hockey and some nonsense. Ryan, how are you doing today, man? Steve, I'm great. I'm happy to be on. Are you sure we can't just talk about Batman for two hours? Because I would much rather talk about Batman than I think the Flyers right now. <laughs> I think everyone would just about prefer that over uh, talking about Ivan Provorov and his turnovers and, you know, just the overall horrific state of this hockey team that we, for some reason, tend to uh, just watch for our own um, for our own displeasure. What so? What's more depressing, the vibe in the Batman or the state of the Philadelphia Flyers? You know what? I'm gonna have to say the state of the Philadelphia Flyers. Like, and we're talking about a movie that literally it rains the entire movie as a choice by the director. <laughs> yeah, but at least it's like aesthetically pleasing. You know, it's like well shot camera angles. The lighting looks cool for the Flyers. It's just a bunch of like slop and ugliness and grossness on the ice. And it's just, it's tough to really, I, it's hard to watch them right now. It, even when they win last night against the Golden Knights, it was just like, okay, you won, but it's, it didn't look good at all. And they almost gave it away. They did their best to, to not win that game, which like, honestly- That was a horrific win. It, it was not a nice win, no. Oh, like, I sat down, like I tweeted this, like I, for most of the second period, and part of this just, I was just plain exhausted, but like I laid down on my couch and like, I didn't quite fall asleep through the second period, but I came close to falling asleep in the second period. And the Flyers just like destroyed Carter Hart's soul that entire period. In fact, the rest of the game, it was a nice first period. And then the rest of the game was just like the floodgates. I guess we're going back to the Batman again with the flood. I don't want to ruin too much. Um, like <laughs> it all comes back around. It's just like it, the floodgates open and it was just shot after shot. I mean, what, what was it? 46 saves, 47 saves for Carter Hart in that game. 47 saves, which is like his regular season career high. And I think it's like two off from his all time. I think he had like a 49 save game against uh, Montreal or something back in the playoffs when the flyers were good that one time. Um, and so it's, yeah, he just went insane last night and, you know, he, it, I mean, if it wasn't for him, they would have probably lost by like four goals or something insane. But. Oh yeah. They got destroyed in that game. Absolutely destroyed. And you had mentioned Provorov as part of the, you know, just as a problem right now. And I know you had brought up just pre-show that you wanted to mention Provorov. He has been so brutal lately and it's, he's really just like a, a, representative of the overall defensive problems they've had this year. But I think it's something that we're realizing more and more is just how much Ivan Provorov has kind of like fallen off from where he was a couple years back. He's I'm honestly worried. Like if he stays as a member of this team, which at this point I think is highly questionable. Like I'm 
not sure he's coming back next year. He's been that bad. And like, I don't think it's a fact. I don't think it's quite a situation where the Flyers say, um, oh, he's bad. We need to get rid of him. I think they think he's still good. And I think a lot of other teams, other hockey men, GM, GMs probably think that he's good too, which like, honestly, I feel like he has the potential to be good. We've seen he's been good in the past. So it's like, what's the big situation? Like what's causing him to play so poorly right now? And I feel like part of that is just like, maybe he just needs to be on a different team, just wear a different uniform. And then all of a sudden some of his, his, you know, the, the issues that have sprouted up recently will just magically go away. Like I, I have no idea what's going on. I mean, a classic fresh start situation, right? Where he just needs, I think it's also like, this is a guy that we've talked a lot about in the past few years as, as needing a partner, as needing somebody who is as good yes. or better than him, because like we've seen his best when Matt Niskanen was next to him and he's struggling right now with, and this is not to blame Braun in any way, because Braun's actually no, probably no, been yeah. the Flyers best defenseman. But I, I also would argue Justin Braun is not, He's never, I think, been a top pairing defenseman, and certainly at this stage in his stage in his career, he's not a top pair defenseman. And the fact that they're using him as a top pair defenseman is is terrible. <laughs> it's just it's terrible. Just, it's so bad. Like, and I just like I think when he went to the Stanley Cup with the Sharks, he was like a third or second pair defenseman. Like, yeah, he was a middle he, guy who the Sharks fan base hated him when we yeah, when yeah, they I traded mean, him to the Flyers for I think it was a second and a third. Sharks fans were like, "Chokes <laughs> on you, suckers!" And I know he's actually been one of the better defensemen on the team since we've gotten him. But he's a guy who, when the Flyers set up the defense for this year, he was the t the bottom pairing guy with Keith Yandel, and that's the perfect spot for him because that makes Yandel half decent in this world because he's been terrible otherwise, and that makes that gives Braun the proper usage. He's just not a fast defenseman. He's very crafty, but he's just not fast. They have to do something about Yandel. Like, there's no way. Like, I'm sure they could trade him at this trade deadline because I know that, like, he's just highly respected across the league. He's like the Iron Man now. I'm sure they could get something, anything for Keith Yandel. And I really hope they do because I don't want to have to watch him ever again on this Flyers team. I like him as a person. He seems like such a cool dude. I love that he thanks Carter Hart every time he settles the puck from behind the net. It's like, it's, it's super funny. Sweet. Yeah, it's just so, it's so cordial. It's so nice. But like, he's so bad. And I just, I don't know. I really cannot watch him anymore. But you know what? Before we get too into like the defensemen and the, the, the poor quality of this team, I do want to ask you, because we've talked about Batman a little bit so far. When did you, how many, first of all, how many times have you seen the new Batman? I've only seen it one time. I saw it opening night though, like uh, the Thursday before when it, you know, when they do like the Thursday night screenings, because I hate right. spoilers. I, I avoid them at all costs. I'm also a huge nerd. So like for me, this is like every time one of these movies comes up, this is like an event for me that I need to be like the first one there, especially for the big names. Like, you know, like no offense to Shang-Chi or anything, but like I took, you know, maybe like a week to see Shang-Chi or something like that, as opposed to like the Batman or Spider-Man where I was there like the first night I could possibly do it. So I've only seen it the one time. I feel like I need to see it again because I, I don't think I was prepared for that movie mentally when I saw it. Like it right. was very different than I, I, and I also had a lot of hype going into it. And when you have a lot of hype, 
And the movie is like a slow, like, not to say the movie's, it's, it's a very long movie, but Mm -hmm. it's a very dense movie as well. There's a lot going on and I don't think I was quite prepared for the the pace of that movie. So I feel like I need to see it again, just to kind of, to take it in with the proper expectations. That's exactly what I thought about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I'm a freak about Tarantino movies. Yeah, me too. I love Tarantino. Uh, like when I saw that movie for the first time, I was expecting it to be kind of like a like an inglorious bastards type situation where it's just like from the very start, you're on the edge of your seat and like there's something interesting happening all the time. And that movie ended up being such a slow, like like very slow uphill rise. And then it all kind of, you know, it all went downhill in a good way. Like kind of like a, you know, the thrill came towards the the middle of it. When, yeah. Um, and then the flames happen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how I felt about that movie. I still have not seen the new Batman yet, so I can't, I can't comment too, too much about it, but I do want to ask you, where does, where does the Batman rank for you all time of all the Batman movies? So on my one view, without seeing it again, which I really think I need to see it again before I can properly rank it. But before that, I probably rank this like, I want to say like three or four right now. Uh, The Dark Knight's still, I think, number one without, without a doubt. And then for me, I'm a big Batman Begins guy. I've always really liked Batman Begins. I think it's one of the the movies that captures Bruce Wayne really well. And Mm -hmm. it was one that I came away like, I think that one was very under the radar when it came out. And I came away very pleased with that one as like a, a, a comic nerd perspective. And then this one's a tough one to place though, because like the, the tough ones for me are the Tim Burton ones because I go back and forth on how I feel on them. They're ridiculous. They're they're kind of like campy in a way that is like you don't realize when you're watching them. But they're yeah. they're fun also. Like they really do embrace like these weird roots. They're not like they're tough for me as a comic fan because like I do really appreciate the source material. I love the source material. Um because yeah. Tim Burton just kind of like does his own thing. He's like, well, this is the Tim Burton version and He's so stylistically his own man. And I think everybody who knows a Tim has seen one Tim Burton movie knows that Tim Burton is Tim Burton. And there is no other way to describe that. It's it's a very weird thing to talk about. But um, like Batman 89, when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with that. I was obsessed with Batman Returns. And yeah. like I have great memories of those movies. And I think people give great performances in them. But from... A nerd perspective, it's like a tough one because Batman's got machine guns on his car that he's like blasting people away with and like blowing up like uh, chemical factories and shit. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> crazy movie. And uh, like Jack Nicholson is, he's great. He's so good. He's so good. But he's also like, is he playing the Joker? Or he's just kind of playing Jack Nicholson unhinged. I do kind of wonder that too because like he's so like Jack Nicholson. He can play any part. I feel like, but I feel like in that movie he just pretty much had to just play himself and it worked really, really well. And so I, I don't know. I, I it's feel a classic like, performance. It's absolutely yeah, a classic performance. Yeah. Like, but it's like, he, I think it was a, so similar to like, a you know, most classic Jack Nicholson performances where I'm just like, huh, is this, is this the Joker or are we just watching Nicholson? Like did Jack Torrance, like uh, from the shining, just 
<laughs> come back to life and put on some clown makeup. Like, I'm not sure what's going on here. I, I you know, I do really like, I love the performance though. It's just, it, again, it's, I have trouble with the comic aspects of it, but like, you know, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight is an all time line. Right. Yeah. And I still think of like, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Like all the time. I love that. I do want to say this. I feel like Batman and Robin, way underrated. Yeah? Best Batman movie of all time. Wow. Okay. Without that, question. That is a hot not take. That is it's good. Certainly not because it's good. It's the worst of all of them by far. But in terms of how hilarious it is unintentionally, there's no question that it's the best Batman movie. Because first of all, you just have Arnold Schwarzenegger covered in glitter. The whole movie. He's, I mean, he's yeah, he's Mr. Freeze. So like he's just covered in glitter. Chill and out. The amount of like cold temperature puns he makes throughout the movie is honestly immaculate. I don't know how he how the writers came up with them all. This is actually you know, amazing because Eamon wanted to discuss these puns months ago. Eamon did had he put really? this on a fly purpley list to discuss, and we didn't get to it for some reason. And <laughs> we never got to it, which is amazing because this is like two of my favorite things in the world, which is Batman and Arnold Schwarzenegger puns. I am obsessed with both <laughs> yeah. these things. So like I can't believe we didn't get to that, but I'm I, I'm sure Eamon's going to love to hear this now. Uh, the chill out. Um, yeah, oh my God, he I'm trying to remember in right now. All car. Chill, chill out. And then he just starts turning people into frozen ice cubes. Oh my God. It's just, it's so good. It's and so then, good. And like, we can't forget about Uma Thurman's like little strip tease and the gigantic like gorilla costume. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the gorilla costume's bizarre. The Batman credit card that says Batman Forever on it. I was about to bring it up. <laughs> well, because th that movie is kind of like an like almost a modern day for at least the late 90s adaptation of like the 60s Batman, which is like campy as hell, but it's hilarious. Like it's still, yeah, yeah. I actually sat down and watched nearly the entire Batman 66 movie on Saturday because it's so funny to me. It like... Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb is one of the greatest lines of all time. But like <laughs> yeah. Batman and Robin like really is like that campy. And it's I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's one of the most entertaining movies. I feel like it's actually probably better than Batman Forever, which is one of those that tries to toe the line between like the campy and the dark and just kind yeah, of fails yeah. at both. That was Val Kilmer, wasn't it? That was Val Kilmer, who was fine. And like. You know, I, I love Val Kilmer actually as a, an actor. He's like one of the weirdest actors of all time. But like, yeah, he's an interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. He's he was in a movie that I watched a few years ago. I cannot remember the title for the life of me, but it was one where essentially he was arrested and brought into this police station, and then like all like the police started getting like picked off one by one, and he was like a demon or something ultimately, and just kind of like cackling his way through this movie. It's fantastic. If I think of it, I'll post it on the Twitter, uh, on the Flyperbole Twitter later. But like, it, it just he can ham it up with the best of them. Yeah, didn't he also play Jim Morrison in the Doors movie? He did. He did. Yeah, like what an interesting. He he plays Batman, Jim Morrison, very very completely opposite, you know, characters. Iceman like, and Top Gun. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just he's he has such an odd like pairing or just like group of characters that he's played. But you know what? I guess that's a, what kind of makes you a good actor. You know, if you can make those, if you can kind of make those characters your own and like do them well, which I think he did. 
then, I mean, that's pretty impressive. So. Well, th- that's range right there. That's what he's got is range. Exactly, yeah. Like, it's not like Kevin Hart, where when Kevin Hart's in a movie, he's not even playing a character. He's just, he's literally just Kevin Hart. He's just Kevin Hart. He doesn't try to be any, but I can respect that also because he's not trying to do anything that he knows he can't do. He's exactly. going to be Kevin. Kevin Hart going to Kevin Hart. Although he was in, what was that movie I saw him in? He was in a movie with Brian Cranston where I think that yes. was actually filmed in Philadelphia or yeah, I think it was, or took place in Philadelphia or something like that where Cranston was in a wheelchair and Kevin Hart became like his best friend or something. It was like a drama. Yeah. Yeah, I heard that was. Ri- I can't remember what it's called, but I heard that that movie was very good. I need to. I need to watch that. It was ASAP. pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. I'm. I'm trying to remember this. This Val Kilmer, crazy movie that I watched, but this is. I, I'm. I'm on his IMDb page right now. Oh, I think I know it. It's the Traveler, where he plays Mister Nobody slash Drifter. And the IMDb description is a slow, quiet Christmas Eve night at the police station turns into strange horror after a man enters claiming he wants to confess to murder. Oh, my God. And Val Kilmer is the only notable actor in this movie. Everybody else I have never heard of. That's actually kind of cool, though. I like that when that because then that kind of turns into like a situation where it's like you you find one of those like underground, really good actors that not a lot of people know about. And then you, it opens up a whole new palette of movies that you can check out. But yeah, I did a whole, it's called uh, I got to pull. I think I just said it and I already forgot it. The Traveler. It's from the Traveler. Okay. 2010. Oh, so it's like pretty recent. Okay. Yeah. I was expecting it to be like an 80s type thing. No, this is like this is like later Val Kilmer when like the direct to video stuff started to become like a little bigger before streaming when anybody could make a piece of shit and put it on Netflix, but not quite like like you know, straight to DVD, the kind of thing you pick up at like I don't know, the checkout line at Rite Aid and go I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> well, this piece All of shit's three dollars. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, so now I have I gotta add this to my list. I have to add that to the list. I have to add there are a couple B movies that I need to watch too. Um, oh God, Bubba the uh, Bubba the Redneck Werewolf. That's on my. Oh, on my I list. don't know that one. Oh boy, I've heard nothing but terrific things about it. You can That's throw good. that in the the werewolf genre. Strictly, <laughs> yeah. that is a long and storied history. The the werewolf genre with the Teen Wolf, Teen Wolf Two, and many many werewolf adaptations. And oh, God damn it. I just had a werewolf movie that I was going to say, and I've already forgotten it. And this is very distressing to me. There was one that was very funny to me. And I, I damn it. <laughs> you'll remember it. You'll remember it like at the most weird time while we're doing this pod and you'll just like blurt yeah. it out. We're, we're going to be talking about <laughs> Carter Hart. And all of a sudden I'm going to be like, it's Wolf with Jack Nicholson and <laughs> yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer. It's not that one, though, because I remembered that. Have you ever heard of Thanks Killing? Oh, I just remembered the one I was going to mention. It was Wolf Cop. Wolf Cop. Which okay. is a, a werewolf cop. I, I don't know Thanks Killing, though. Is that like the one that, um, since you're a Tarantino head, you, you know what I'm talking about from, from Grindhouse, where they have the fake trailers in the middle, and there's the, no, the Thanksgiving so trailer. It would have been, <laughs> it would have been perfect. Because they made a couple like, of those movies, like actual movies. Yeah, I, what was one of I think uh, like a uh, like a uh, hobo with a shotgun. That was yes, the Canadian yeah. grindhouse they showed that on. I know they um, 
Yeah, so that was made into one was... Oh, and um, was... Machete. Machete, that's right. Yeah, I knew that there was another one that I was missing. The great um, Danny right. Trejo. Like, you want to talk about B-movie heroes, Danny Trejo is the B-movie hero. He's a guy who will agree to be in anything. You need him for 30 seconds of Breaking Bad, he's in, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Thanks, or uh, what, The Room, that's also another classic. Oh, know? yeah, of course. I, I would love to, to do one of those midnight room showings. So, thanks, Kill It. Basically, it's about, I think the budget for the movie was like $500. Perfect. And these college kids made it. They didn't have, it, basically, it's about this turkey that comes to life every like thousand years and kills everybody. And he just goes on a rampage. And they didn't have, they didn't have enough budget for like a CGI turkey or anything. So they just used a puppet. Oh, that's way better. That's way better. I almost always prefer shitty puppet over CGI. It's so good. And he just, he like, he just verbally assaults everybody. He speaks English, obviously. obviously. And um, it's so good. I can't, I don't want to give away too, too much, but my God, it's, it's really un unbelievable. It's about an hour long, this movie. Um, and it's, it was on Netflix and now I think they took it off. I think, I think they had the sequel, which is Thanks Killing Part 3. They skipped over Part 2. For what? no reason. What? So it's like Thanksgiving 3 goes from 1 to 3. It's absolutely insane. It makes no sense at all. And that's kind of what makes me like it so much. It's just, it's terrific. Makes, you know, no context at all. It's, it's so good. So well, you got to respect when something really just like goes for it and knows what it is and, and embraces its nature in that regard. Speaking of embracing things. Ooh. You know what people have embraced a lot, especially over the last week? What's that? The curse of Kate Smith. Dun dun dun. It's real. That was a Everyone good transition. I, I mean, this is I'm the, impressed on that. Really. Some snaps for that transition. <laughs> I I love how this has just blown up recently. So just to give you the the quickest of backgrounds for maybe some of our newer Flyers fans, maybe not everybody is as familiar with uh, the background on Kate Smith and why this is a big deal. Like it's just Kate Smith sounds like a very generic name. I, you know, if I was new to the flyers, I wouldn't have any idea, but back in the 1970s, Kate Smith would uh, come out and sing God bless America before flyers games. And she was the, the good luck charm for the broad street bullies. And then for years after she passed away, they would play the recording before games. And it was a flyers tradition for a long time. And it was a great tradition for a bit until it turned out that Gate Smith had recorded some very, very racist songs back in, what was it, the 1920s, 1930s, stuff like that. So just terrible, terrible stuff. And then the Flyers went and they, they had a statue to Kate Smith and they had the recording and they pulled both of them. And the statue is, it, it's somewhere. And our good friend from the Taking It to the Beat segment, Slamming Sammy Carcitti, has been on the case for years. He's showing it up at every Flyers event going... Where's the Kate Smith statue? Where is the Kate Smith statue? For the love of God, I need to know where the Kate Smith statue is. And nobody's told him. And now he finally has company in wanting to know about Kate Smith, which is an issue. Ryan, how long has it been since Kate Smith, the, the whole controversy happened and the Flyers kind of like uh, placed the statue into storage? It's been what, like five years? It feels like that. It's been at minimum three like, why are we still talking about Kate? She's the most inconsequential person in the history of the Flyers. <laughs> Did she ever play for the Flyers? No. 
was her singing like is that what inspired them to win any Stanley Cups? I can guarantee you it had nothing to do with them being a good hockey team. It's a literal superstition. It's a superstition that they thought she was a good luck charm because we all know luck is fake. It's just about confidence, right? So it's not something that really matters that much. And, I, you know, most people I talk to don't give a shit about this. Most people have not, as soon as they heard the controversy, they're like, I'm done with her. I'm moving on. And that's the right logical reaction. But Carcini's been all over it. And there's a few angry fans on Twitter that will still mention it, but who gives a shit about them? So, but Carcini's been the main proponent I've seen that has brought up the Kate Smith statue time and time again. But now he has a partner our good dear friend Chris Terrian, Bundy himself, former Flyers uh, defenseman from the late 90s, early 2000s, has implied that the Flyers are now cursed because they removed the Kate Smith statue. I have some bad news for you, though, Bundy. I got some real bad news. The Flyers have not won a cup, and I, stop me if you've heard this one before, since 1975, okay? <laughs> I think the statue... And the recording, it goes way beyond that for whatever's cursing the Flyers. It ain't that. And also curses are fake. But, like, it's it's not a thing, okay? It's not a thing. And guess what? This happened also in the middle of mediocre Flyers, all right? They have not, like, two years ago they were good with almost the same team, okay? Last year they were mediocre to bad, and this year they're just playing bad. It has nothing to do with Kate Smith. There's not a ghost singing God Bless America in the locker room haunting, like, Ivan Provorov into playing shitty defense. <laughs> that would be a really, really funny explanation, though. <laughs> like, Ivan Provorov is just out there, like, not giving the proper coverage because he's hearing in the back of his head, God Bless America. <laughs> like, and beside her. <laughs> there would be some truth to this whole conspiracy theory if, like, the Flyers were routinely winning cups until Kate Smith's statues got. Like, then you could say, like, okay, maybe there's a curse. Like, as we have discussed, like, curses yeah. aren't real; they don't exist. But like, but it's not like could, they traded it, Babe Ruth for money. Yeah, yeah. Like it in that situation. Like, okay, maybe it's understandable. Like, you're a tinfoil hatter, but uh, like, I see what you're saying. It's almost like the Flyers are cursed just by the game evolving and them not evolving with it. It's almost as if that's the case, yeah. But surely that cannot be it. Oh. I mean, obviously, it has to be something more rational, like Kate Smith. Yeah, I got a question for you guys. You know, why don't the Flyers just beat the shit out of people like they used to? Well, <laughs> I got some bad news for you. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Honestly, is there a single statue in the world that should be this talked about i feel like sam's talked i don't the only other statues i've heard talked about and i i hate to make this comparison and this isn't a direct comparison but maybe it kind of i don't know the confederate statues being removed in recent years are i the, was gonna say yeah i was gonna break that up too so i live the only direct comparison yeah i live in richmond virginia and over the summer they took their they finally took down the robert e lee statue and a bunch of like crazy hicks from like the countries, the boonies in, in central Virginia were losing their minds. And I'm just like, have you people even been to the city of Richmond since like 1982? Yeah. I don't think you have. And so it's like, like aside from that, there's, I don't understand what, what statue in the world would cause this much uproar. Like if they got rid of the Rocky statue, I could understand like some 
you know, Philadelphia natives saying like, oh man, like that was kind of like a symbolic thing in the city. Like, you know, what's can- hilarious about that, by the way, is that most Philly people hate the Rocky statue because they want the city to be known for more than a fictional boxer. Um, exactly. I actually yeah. think it's kind of fun. And I think it's fun for tourists to come and like go on the steps and then get a picture with the statue. But I digress. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like even that, if they got rid of that, I'm sure that would be a talking point for a little while. I don't think anyone would blame the removal of a Rocky statue for like the Flyers inability to win a Stanley Cup. No. What it is about Kate fucking Smith that makes them that makes them think that it has anything to do with anything. And you know what? If there's a curse going on here. We should be talking about the Kate Smith curse. We should be talking about the fucking Carcini curse, which we have talked about ad nauseum. <laughs> it's got good alliteration. I like it. It's catchy. When did he take over covering the Flyers? 1975? No, I think it was like uh, 2013, I want to say, like 2014. I only remember this because Tim Panaccio had been on the Inquirer beat for years like Pinaccio was the guy for many, many years. And then the Inquirer, I think they bought him out or fired him or something. And then he joined NBC sports, Philly, uh, whatever the hell it was called at the time. And like, then Carcini came in because he worked some of the other beats or something else on the sports desk. And he kind of just came in and we're like, does this guy even know hockey? I don't understand. And then he's just kind of been, had a bizarre career ever since. And now he works for Philly hockey now. Yeah. Well, I know he mentioned that he's been covering the Flyers for 46 years, 37 oh. years as a full-timer. And <laughs> it does, I, okay, that's news to me, I, but I don't know his career that well. I, I haven't looked at, maybe I should look at the wiki page. I don't know. So, okay, let me, let's, let's do some, we are obviously not math people. If we were, we probably wouldn't be in this field of work, but so. I mean, we know he knows about like, sources and trades because we've all seen his great work on the Wayne Simmons, Jesse Pulley trade from a few years ago that we all remember actually happened. <laughs> oh my God. Which I will never <laughs> stop obsessing over. Like, because this is just still, he got dunked on by Bob McKenzie. It was one of the fakest tweets I've ever seen or Facebook postings or whatever. It was like the, just the Thanos snap text. That's just disappearing into nothing. It, it's just magnificent. But like, I don't understand why, like, he's just obsessed over this because I can't think of another Flyers fan that I personally know, and I know a lot of Flyers fans from doing this podcast for a fucking decade, that, like, I don't know anybody that's bothered them. I don't, I, who gives a shit? Why would you give a shit? No one cares. She's, she's, I mean, this might sound insensitive, but she's dead. She's been dead for forever. She did one important thing, and that was sing a, a song at a Flyers game few times and that's it she has done nothing to contribute to this to the the team anything like so it I don't was know a nice tradition we... for a bit that we would play the recording and then lauren hart would sing with the recording it was nice and then we found out she did some bad shit back in the day yeah it's called do it's like it's called res- taking responsibility for actions like this is what happens when you do racist shit like <laughs> you kind of get statues of you taken down i mean i, I don't know what people are freaking out about so I just did some math. It is the year 2022, the year of our Lord, 2022. Carcitti has been covering the Flyers for 46 years. 2022 minus 46 equals 1976. Whoa! The year after that? the Flyers' last Stanley Cup. I think you're onto something. I think there's a curse here, and I think it's the Carcitti curse. 
the Slam and Sammy Carcini curse. And by the way, I also have some some extra information. So the statue was removed on tw- on April twenty first, twenty nineteen. So it actually was not that long ago. Oh, but, wow, okay. You know, the last two years have just felt like eternity because of the yes, pandemic yes. and everything. So it's just like, but you know, we're we're almost at if I'm doing the math right, we're just about at three years at this point. And let's see, the Flyers made the playoffs and they played in the bubble and they actually won a round. So that was actually their most successful playoff trip in a decade. Yeah, really. Yeah. God, the playoffs. I would love if they, I wonder what it feels like making a deep run in the playoffs. And you know what, Steve, there's a certain player on the Flyers who uh, apparently would love to play in the playoffs. And apparently would be great in the playoffs. And uh, that that is none other than uh, the big man himself, Rasmus Ristolainen. The big man, Rasmus Ristolainen. They call him Risto. And all you have to do is get Risto to the playoffs and he's going to become Chris Pronger. He's just going to morph into Chris Pronger like that. I mean, it's a given. Everyone knows it's going to happen. It's, I mean, it's just been uh, everyone's I, I think the Sabres have been purposefully losing with him on the team because they know that the world isn't ready. For playoff wrist line. This is just true. like baffling to me. Just how, how like, and look, I get Risto has that confidence, right? And he wants to have that confidence and, and get himself that contract because playoff performers get paid, right? Like Danny Briere, yeah. you can argue how much his regular season contributions really, you know, had him earn that big contract. Yeah. But the flyers, but you cannot argue his playoff contributions earned him every penny and more of that contract because he was such a, a fantastic playoff performer. So, and in the playoffs, if you are a better performer, especially on defense, like, yeah, that's great. I, I love having a big physical guy that people hate to play against. And uh, from everything I've heard, people do not like playing against him. But like, I I cannot fathom, number one, you have to make the playoffs to be good in the playoffs. And he's never made the playoffs in his entire right. career. And then number two, Jesus Christ, like the physicality, it it never, I've complained about this all season. I want the physicality in front of the net. I want him to clear the crease. I just want him to clear the way for the goaltender. That's all I want. And we saw a prime case of this the other day in the Chicago game where he jumped out and he made this unnecessary hit and led to a, a goal that was blamed on Travis Sanheim and Scott Lawton, but really if Ristolainen was in the proper position, that goal would not have happened easily. Yeah. I look back at the two and a lot of people were saying, what were Lawton and Sanheim doing? And I'm just like, dude, <laughs> first of all, he really, Ristolainen relinquished the zone so easily on that play. It's not even funny. And it's like, people say that, you know, other opposing forwards are terrified to be around Ristolainen because they're, they don't want to get hit. That did not slow down. I believe it was Patrick Kane who made the zone entry. That didn't slow down Patty Kane at all, who's literally half the size of Ristolainen. Yeah. That didn't slow him down in any way. And he ended up setting up, uh, I believe it was Alex DeBrinkett, I think, for the goal. So, like, it was him or Strom. I, I know they both had days on Saturday. Yeah. yeah one of those two. But it was just, I, I don't understand. People are obsessed with this physicality. But then, you know, when he goes and makes an unnecessary an unnecessary hit and it wasn't even a big hit it was just like a, a no, like it's real run of the mill yeah um it, it that's what costs the flyers games that's what can really hurt a team and like like you mentioned the kind of physicality that flyers 
intelligent Flyers fans want are, is the physicality in front of the net. Like, clear the crease. If someone takes a whack at your goalie, like, you know, face wash them. Like, get in their face. Like, get physical then. That's, that would be terrific. But, like, when you're just going out of position trying to make a big hit and you never do because other players are faster than you and they can just slip around you, that's bad. And that's what I feel like people – I feel like that's the disconnect right now between the two major camps in the Flyers fan base right now. It's like Because I feel like that's pretty much what it is. It's like the, the Risto supporters and the Risto haters. And yeah. I just – I don't understand really the Risto supporter ideology in any way. The Risto Alliance is out here with a weak-ass argument, and I, I don't understand like why they are sticking to it so hard. It's, it, I think it's just like this – and I, I saw this with uh, the the group I had dubbed the Moran Mafia for the longest time. These people yeah. really desperately want these big bodies to be good. And I want them to be good, too. But I see the writing yeah. on the wall. And, like, both Risto and like, I don't want to dump on Samuel Moran because this guy has had a really tough career. I feel yeah, really bad is. for him. And I feel like I've I've wasted too many words, you know, about him. But the problem with both these guys is they're just big and... You know, I can't really comment on Moran because unfortunately he hasn't been on the ice that much that I can really comment on his game. But Ristolainen, he's just big and he he has these unnecessary hits, but he's not physical in the ways you want. As as we're saying, like he's not clearing the crease. He's not like like Chris Pronger, uh, Dustin Bufflin. These are guys that really used to like give you physical problems and really they were hard to play against, but they were also really good talented hockey players and this isn't to yeah. say that Ristolainen is not talented but he just doesn't he's not making smart plays almost ever occasionally yes yeah. but it's pretty rare I've seen I remember a few years ago Risto made this unbelievable play where he went like end to end and scored this insane goal I think he went like between the legs and I don't remember who he was facing but um he got it was a beautiful goal and then he his celebration after the goal got even more media coverage because it was like the weirdest celebration ever he was just like doing like a weird thing and flipping it I, I can't really describe it very well but um clearly he does have some skill i just where is it it's, where is like, it how is he applying it and here's the other thing for me is he's 27 years old yeah. i don't think he's gonna learn any new skills in the next no. couple of years because like this is his prime he's supposed to be the best player he can be right now yeah, he is what he is now. And, like, that's what worries me about this this whole contract situation. Like, all right, w would you pay $4 million? Let, let's pretend best possible case. Well, best possible case scenario is he gets traded. I think we can all agree with that. Oh, yeah, but for, for anything. Let's pretend, let's pretend they give Ristolainen three years, $4 million per. Is that an overpay? Because I think it is a huge overpay. Yeah, I think that's a huge overpay. I, I well, I don't know if that's a huge overpay, but it's not great. Um, so let's. I'm going to run down these these comments real quick. So yeah. there was a report out there that the the Flyers were offering Ristolainen a a pretty hefty contract. So then Elliot Friedman, who is one of the best in the biz, I I think Elliot Friedman, Pierre LeBrun, like those are probably like. And, you know, it used to be Bob McKenzie, but unfortunately he decided to just spend more time at the lake because, you know what, he's the GOAT. But those yeah, guys are yeah. really like your go-to hockey reporters, right? So yeah. if Elliot Friedman says something, there is usually some heft to it. So yes. 
yeah. on his 32 thoughts pod and uh was it you who transcribed this for the the site or was it uh tom yes oh, yeah you. that was me that's right okay so ryan did a great job tra- transcribing this so real quick he said on the 32 thoughts pod something else i wanted to address with philly there was a report out there that ristolainen turned down six by 6.35 or something like that i don't think that's correct in this particular case one of the things i was wondering about was how could you turn down $36 million? It just seems really strange to me. I don't think he turned down a number that high. I do think they're negotiating, so I'm curious to see where this is going to end up. But I had heard the number was somewhere between 4 and $4.75 million. We'll see where that one goes. So, yeah. you know, it's it's definitely like... It's easier to swallow something between 4 and $5 mil. It's not good, but it's easier to swallow than this crazy six, six years, 6.35 million contract, which would just be wildly overpaying. Like four is a lot for this guy, I think, because he really plays like a second or third pairing defenseman. And if you're making six or more, you better damn well be in the top four on your defense. Yeah. I think for him, the most I would pay for for Ristolainen right now would be like 3.5. That's the absolute most I would pay for him. Yeah, and I'd want to play him on the bottom pairing. And yeah, I mean, I feel like that's where he would do best because he would receive fewer minutes. <laughs> but like, I think I think he's... He, I don't want to say he doesn't bring anything to the table because like, yes, he is physical. And while most of his hits that he makes are like pretty they don't really do anything and it gets him out of position because he chooses to make hits rather than play good defensive coverage. Um, You know, I I do think that when he's out there, some players might be like, okay, where's Risto? Like, let me, let me look out for that guy. Guys do say they don't like to play against him. And also the one other thing I could say to his credit is I keep hearing reports that he's well-liked in the locker room. He's popular in the locker room and locker room chemistry is important. So you do want guys that are going to do well in that environment, but like, dude, you got to play at the end of the day. Yes. Yeah. That's the number one thing. And like, you know, it's the same thing with Keith Yandel. Like, I feel like they brought him in as like kind of a glue guy for the locker room and look what's that, what that's turned into. It's been absolutely horrendous. Um, you know, when it started off, he's honk. When the season started, I was at, I mean, you know, the flyers as a whole, they looked pretty good good the first what like 10 games they were like six two and two or something yeah they were pretty good they seemed to have good chemistry with each other and the important thing to note is you actually had some ryan ellis in those games so the exactly. defense could actually have the proper structure where you know sanheim and ristolainen have pretty much been together all year so that is what it is but like when your top pairing is Proveroff and Ellis who can, you know, when he actually has legs to play and your bottom pairing is Yandel and Braun where Braun can really just cover up any of Yandel's defensive uh, blunders. And I apologies to Keith Yandel seems like a very nice guy, but blunders the kindest word I can use for his defense. He's terrible. Yeah. That's a lot better for him on defense. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, this is what we were talking about. Earlier. He seems like such a good dude. And I feel like they would be, able, if they tried to trade him, I feel like they would be able to get something for him just because of, you know, the, what he brings as like a locker room guy. They got a bag of pucks for Eric Gustafson last year. Although to, <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, Eric Gustafson's the top pairing guy in Chicago right now, which is insane to me. 
Is he actually in the, on the top pair right now? I have not paid attention to Chicago he, at all. This he was as of last week because I, um, when I do the, the forecast on like Monday or Tuesday, um, I'll get all the lines on Cap Friendly together. And at least according to Cap Friendly last week, uh, the top pairing was Seth Jones and Eric Gustafson, which is hilarious. Oh my God. <laughs> like Marc-Andre Fleury has earned every penny of his contract just by dealing with that. They have to save him. They like Mark Andre Fleury did nothing to deserve this at all. Like they need to get him out of there just, ASAP. You know, just Chicago get. I I or not Chicago. I I hope Colorado finds the cap room for both Giroux and Fleury and makes a run oh. with that team because just just get stacked for one year and just go for it. That would be a lot of fun. I, w- I would love. It. Is, is is that is that kind of where we're going now? Is this? I mean, what, do you think they're the front runner for Giroux now? I thought they were the front runner until this week, and then this week I'm I, I've heard a lot of Florida talk, and Florida's very good, so that's an interesting team too. It seems like no matter who gets Claude Giroux, and also he gets a say in wherever he goes, which is very important. Yeah. But it, right. it seems like our boy G is going to have a lot of uh, a, a good chance at getting that that Stanley Cup he has long deserved and needed to get, and. We're, you know, rapidly approaching the trade deadline at long last. It's yeah. absurd to wait until the end of March. Do you have the trade deadline date in front of you? It's uh, March 21st. March 21st. Okay. So we're yeah. rapidly nearing that right now. I don't think there's going to be anything before the St. Paddy's game when the Flyers play the Predators because that's projected to be G's thousandth NHL game. And we've seen a bunch of thousandth NHL game tributes lately uh, from former flyers. I think Jake Voracek had his, and then Wayne Simmons just had his. So I think the flyers would really like to have one nice PR moment where they can celebrate their captain. So I'm fairly certain that we're going to see him get traded after that game. Um, But also the smart thing to do for Chuck Fletcher is really drive up that price as much as you can. And usually that involves waiting until the actual trade deadline day. Exactly. Yeah. It's, and it, I mean, we've heard whispers about, you know, a bunch of teams. We know, obviously, Avalanche, Panthers. It sounds like the Rangers and Bruins are, are in there. St. Louis evidently is in there now. So, like, there was a report that St. Louis was one of the teams that he wouldn't mind going to either. So maybe he has a good rapport with Barubi or something. But I don't think yeah. St. Louis is a contender. I don't think so either. And that's why that's literally the only reason I don't want him to go there. Like, I like the idea of him going there, but I just, if I, if he's going to go somewhere, I want him to win a cup this year. Like I don't want him to wait longer than he has to. I want him to win a cup this year. And I don't think this is going to be St. Louis's year. Um, Unless, you know, Billy Huso has been pretty good for St. Louis. So unless he keeps just going ham and net for them, like then maybe it's a possibility, but I don't think that's realistic. And I just don't think they're deep enough at all. I feel like I don't think they have the defense, you know, like without Petrangelo, that defense just is not nearly as good. And, that, you know, Tory Krug just is not a good substitute for Alex Petrangelo. No. Yeah. And like Krug is good offensively. I don't think he's quite the 200 foot player that Petrangelo was. And, um, you know, obviously you got Pareko, too, but he hasn't had the greatest year either. So the whole yeah, the whole situation defensively for St. Louis has been suboptimal for sure. And, but that's why I want him to go to Colorado because I know that Colorado has the pieces to make it work. Like they could send a first round pick. They could send a prospect. I would love Bowen Byram, but I, it's, if that doesn't sound like it'll happen, it just doesn't sound like they want to trade him at all, which like 
understandable. <laughs> yeah. But I, I feel like with Colorado, there's real a real possibility of that happening. And he could win a cup, which would be just the perfect scenario for the Flyers. And well, the nice thing with Colorado, too, is they're not in the East, where it's like, I wouldn't totally mind if he went to Florida, but like, yeah. I, I don't want to see him in the same conference. I don't want to see him a bunch in that other uniform. That's just going to make my heart hurt. And also, like, I don't know, Colorado's got a great fan base, and I really want to yeah. see him win it with a team that, like, and I don't want to dump on, you know, any non-traditional market hockey fans, but I'm going to dump on them a bit. I don't want to see him win in a bunch of, in front of a bunch of people who don't give a shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Colorado is going to show up in droves to celebrate that team if they win a cup. And I think he's got a better chance to win a cup there. The Panthers are fantastic. I think they're a very good hockey team. I think they have a great shot. In fact, my money right now will probably be on a Panthers Avs Stanley Cup final. Yeah. But like, when it comes I, down to those two, though, I feel like Colorado would just, they're so good from top so to good. in literally every facet. Yeah. They have a top five center in McKinnon. And they have. I would argue probably the best defenseman in the league in Gail McCarr right now. And that's on top of that. They have Rantanen. They have just Nassim Kadri. Kadri has been amazing. Going insane this year. Like they, so many things are going perfectly right for Colorado this year. It, like that's what makes me wonder like, okay, like this has to be it. You know what I mean? Like it just feels like this would be their year. But whenever that's also been the same story, same song and dance for the Colorado Avalanche, like the last, two or three years now. I keep thinking that this is going to be their year. And then they somehow choke in the second or third round. So, um, but yeah. you know what, if they had Giroux, if they had Giroux, that's a whole different, that's a whole different story. I mean, he's been putting up, I can't remember how many points he, I believe he's tied for the team lead. In I believe right he's now. got 40 or 42, something in that range. Yeah. Like the fact that he's doing that on this flyers team, imagine what he would be doing on a team with like, hockey players <laughs> you know 30 points be- 17 goals 23 assists can you imagine him on a power play with mckinnon with Rantanen, with yeah. all those just amazing players uh cadre there's somebody else i'm missing too like there's just their stack team and that i think claude drew is going to be that much better when he doesn't have to take the the bulk of the hit for the team being yeah. the captain taking those hard defensive minutes and the great thing I think any team that gets Claude Giroux is a hundred percent like worth whatever you have to trade for him because this is a guy who can do anything for you. He can play center, he can play wing, he can play defense, he can penalty kill, he can he's a great offensive player, he can play anywhere in the power play, like he except maybe front of the net, like everywhere else. And he's gritty, he's tough, he's like Yeah. You know, it, it, this is just such a good guy to get, and I really think it's just like I think he's gonna just destroy for any team he goes to. Yeah, it just kills me that it's not going to happen with the Flyers. That's the only thing. Like, yeah. But well, maybe he'll get the cup out of his system, and then he can come back for a nice discount. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That would be so Flyers. If he just, like, if they traded him, he immediately wins a cup, comes back, and then just kind of, I don't want to say regresses, but I feel like, I mean, when he goes elsewhere, and at this point it is a win. I don't think it's an if. When he goes elsewhere, I think he'll play so well. He comes back and then he kind of quote unquote reverts to being what he is now, which is like an obviously very good player. But boy, if he goes on a team with actual superstar talent, he would be his play would go through the roof. It would just it would be so much fun to watch. And 
I don't know. I just, the one thing I'll say, I don't know, like we talked about him going to Colorado or, you know, somewhere outside of the conference. If he were to go to New York or Boston, I'm not sure how easy it would be for me to root for them to win the cup with, even if he's on the team. That would be so. I th- he, he would now be my enemy. Yeah. <laughs> not like, my enemy, but like I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Like I, I've experienced this in recent years, where uh, with other sports, where teams will go. Like it, I think the best example is maybe like when the Patriots and the Giants were in the Super Bowl a few years back, and the Patriots yeah. were the big powerhouse, and the Giants were kind of the the scrappy underdog, and people are like, "Well, I'm going to root for the Giants, obviously, to beat the Patriots." I'm like, "Not a chance in hell." <laughs> no way am I going to root for a New York team. Like I, I just, I I did not care. Division rival trumps everything. I'm not going to root for the Mets. I'm not going to root for the Braves. I'm not going to root for any of that stuff. Like I, I will not root for, okay, division. Now divisions are too big now in the NHL to really have malice for every team in the division. But there yeah. are, I would say four or five teams I absolutely could not root for. And the New York Rangers are absolutely one of them. The New Jersey Devils are one of them. The Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Penguins are obviously one of them. And I would include the Islanders in that. Now, the Bruins are not a division team. Yeah. Which makes it an interesting one. But they are the Flyers' oldest rival. I do I, I do kind of feel like if he were to go to Boston, that I could get down. Like, I would that I would only have like half a, a puke in my throat for. Exactly. Yeah. I would still feel disgusting doing it, but I feel like I could, I could get by rooting for a Giroux led Boston Bruins team, you know? And I don't know with the Rangers, that would just, that would feel too gross. I just, I don't know if I can get down with that one at all. I could not do the Rangers in, in, in any way, shape or form. I just absolutely could not like the rest of the division. I don't give a shit about the Carolina Hurricanes. I like Rod the Bod. Uh, I like a lot of pieces on that team. I really hate one piece on that team. Uh, but, like, otherwise, like, who cares? The Hurricanes can do whatever. Um, Who's the, the piece ca- you hate? You know what? The oh. Capitals. I would not like the Capitals either. The Capitals would be very bad. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you who the one piece you hate on the Hurricanes is, and then I thought for two seconds. And- <laughs> that would and be their Dougie Hamilton <laughs> replacement, which I <laughs> yeah. so furious has worked out for them. And then um, I know the Blue Jackets. Like I don't give a shit about the Blue Jackets either. Like I do not want. Like if I hate, the Blue Jackets are legit, they might be my least favorite team in the entire NHL. Is that right? I, I hate them so much, and I. <laughs> it's not because they're good or they have a good rivalry with the Flyers. It's because they're fucking useless. They are. Why? Columbus have an NHL team. It makes no sense to me at all. Like, it's a useless state. Ohio sucks. I, a bunch of I, – I think when we started the – when we went insane for um, – for when COVID first started, I remember we did a whole series basically saying, like, why this team sucks. And we did it for every team, including the Flyers. So when I went on the uh, Columbus one and I wrote – I can't remember exactly everything I said. I made fun of their mascot. Um, oh, it's, it's I, Stinger's not a good mascot. He's a yellow jacket. They're the blue jackets. It like, doesn't make any sense. He's got a big green head. Yeah. And basically, I mean, I might be paraphrasing here, but I, I basically said that no one who lives in Columbus deserves to feel happiness. And so, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so and so, I got a ton of hate mail from people in Columbus. Like someone found it. One of the like big, you know, highly followed Twitter Columbus Blue Jackets people. 
um, found it and they like subtweeted it saying, oh my God, who hurt you? I'm like, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a thing. We did it to the Flyers too. And they took it so serious. And now ever since then, I'm just like, you know what, dude? Fuck Columbus. Fuck Ohio. <laughs> Get that the fuck out of here, man. Like, what, what I don't even understand about the Columbus Blue Jackets is of all the cities in Ohio, which again is a, a pretty irrelevant state at the end of the day, unless yes. you're talking about electoral maps, but that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah. But like yeah. of all the cities, right? Why is it Columbus? Because there's Cleveland, right? Cleveland's like a very obvious one. And then exactly. even Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati's got two teams. They could choose a third. But no, it's Columbus, which has no major teams. Yeah. Like, I I can't explain it. And I wish I could. It's just such a boring... I've never even been there. So you know what? Columbus could be beautiful. Could be but guess who's never going to go there? Me. And I Jeff have Carter. no desire to go to that state, to that city. None at all. And I'm never going to... Unless... Unless I'm like going there for a game one day and I'm going to the The funniest thing to me to this day is still Jeff Carter spent like two minutes in Columbus was like, <laughs> nah, <laughs> he already had it. I am going to pout my way out of this city. Yeah. Panarin also did the same thing. He's just like, get me out of here, man. I want to go somewhere with water. <laughs> go <laughs> That's a, literally both of them did that. It's like, I need to be near the ocean for the love of God. Yeah. And now Jeff Carter's stuck in a Pittsburgh purgatory, but I guess there's a great lake near there. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, Panarin was there two years. For some reason, I thought he was there for one. Yeah, but it was probably felt like five years. Yeah, for him. (laughs) Yeah, it felt like The thing about Panarin was he was also like, he just wanted to go to a major city. That was pretty much like, he's like, I'm going to like, I'm going to New York, Miami, or LA pretty much. Because I didn't he also have like a model girlfriend or something that he wanted to appease? Yes, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I'm still bitter about this because I don't know. I really... The fact that he went to New York and the Rangers were just gifted Panarin and Adam Fox is one of the most disgusting things because that team would be pretty good without those guys, but I don't think anywhere near the level they're at right now without those guys. Those two changed the team completely. One of them's a Norris candidate. Or or didn't he? He He won won the Norris Norris. last year, yeah. Yeah. He won the Norris last year. And then Panarin, like, obviously is just insane. He's ridiculously good. It's, It's a heart candidate. Yeah, I mean, very much so. And so I, I feel like, you know, it, it, I think what annoys me the most about it is that it would happen to the Rangers. It will never happen to the Flyers. I think we can agree with that. And no. it's like, I, I think, you know, the gang has talked about it on the flagship show, uh, BSH Radio. Like, if Philadelphia, it's not that it's, it's not that players don't want to come here. It's just the fact that they want to go to New York more, you know? Sure. Because it's New York City. It's it's New York. It's uh, Tampa. You know, it, those two places, I feel like, are two of the hot destinations, right? Vegas. Like, who wouldn't want to go to those three cities? And, like, New York has the New York name, right? Like, it is New York City. Like, it is just, yeah. unfortunately, as much as I, as a Philadelphian, might act uh, unimpressed by New York City, it's still New York City. It is the biggest city yeah. in the United States and one of the biggest cities in the world. I get it. And then, like, okay, you want to go to L.A.? They got the weather. I get it. Tampa Bay, uh, Florida might be nuts, but guess what? That is a winning freaking franchise right there. Yes. And you got some tax benefits. I know the tax benefits are overblown, but it's you get some so tax benefits. Yeah. But you know what? It's part of it. It's part of it. And then yeah. on top of that, just like that is a franchise that is just a well-oiled machine at this point. Why the hell yeah. wouldn't you want to be a part of that? And then like, you know, Philly's great, but like it's 
it's just like it's Philly. <laughs> like, I love Philly, but it it's Philly. The weather. It doesn't have like the big, you know, like the bright lights and everything. It doesn't have uh, that that the. It's not a glitchy, tax. glammy destination. Yeah, no, it's not, and, and that's really what it comes down to, and that's what that's what kind of you know that's what. But I mean, isn't it the fact that Comcast has so disgraced the Flyers' name in the past uh, decade or so that we need to uh, somehow purchase the team from them and put in a fan as owner? Comcast clearly is the entire issue. not the Flyers. No, Comcast I don't understand is. what these people's plan is for the Flyers. Yeah. Like I don't understand. <laughs> It's like anti-Comcast. Like, like, I understand it, but like people just get so upset at Comcast. Like they're they're specifically holding the Flyers back. Like they're doing some sort of insane major league plan where they're trying to like tank the franchise or something. And it's like, no, they're just it, we've just had some shit luck in recent years, guys. Yeah. That's, you know what? Here's the way I look at it. I feel like one of these days, all the bad luck or just like below average luck is going to catch up with the flyers and it's going to all turn into just an avalanche of good things very fast. And then maybe they will be good for a long time. I mean, just got to draft smart and then hopefully you can reel in one of these big free agents when they pop up. Connor Bedard, baby, Connor Bedard, uh, or I'm in, or this year they could get my, my boy, your Slavkovsky. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens there. He ah. was, uh, he was something special at the Olympics. We'll see what happens, though. I think um, you, you saw know, a lot it, of Olympics it, this year, so you got you know. I think you have some better thoughts on that than most. I did. I mean, he he won the MVP of the men's competition. So he at seventeen years old, pretty pretty good. He still got braces on. He's still got the full cage on. It's it's insane. And I feel like with him, what makes him so interesting for the Flyers is one, I feel like they could be in range to get him. And two, he's like exactly the kind of player the Flyers need because he's skilled, but he's also huge. And I feel like Kelly Hinkle brought this up on the flagship show. Like he's huge. And so that would get pe people to all the like, you know, the Rasmus Ristolainen people <laughs> and people who love like the big hits and the physicality, they would fall in love with him simply because of his size. But he is, despite being... Very skilled. He's extremely strong. Um, you know, watching him play against men at the Olympics, he was shaking people off against the boards, winning puck battles, um, just out-muscling dudes. And he ended up scoring seven goals in, I believe it was six games. And he's just, he's insane. He's really ridiculous. So that would be a fun guy to watch. But, like, imagine if they got, like, Uri Slavkovsky, were pretty bad again next year, then won the lottery, then got Connor Bedard. That is Oh my God, that would change everything. I mean, I'm all on the tank train for next year. I know it would suck and I know it'd be horrible to everybody, but like the, the talent available in next year's draft, I really think is worth the pain of just going through like one more year like this, just to get some of that talent, because that's what the flyers really need. Cause I think they have a really decent framework right now with some of the guys that are in there and coming yeah. up. It's just yeah. about like, those guys are much better suited for like the bottom six or mid six. Whereas like you really need like some spectacular top line talent right now. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, you know, it does look like there's a pretty good framework of prospects in the flyer system right now, but that's also something that people were saying for year for years leading up to now with Morgan Frost and he hasn't panned out. And then the, 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 the,
he didn't he never panned out either and no, so the like there's just so many there <laughs> there's so many prospects in the flyers system over the last few years that people thought were going to end up being very good and they have not they've turned into literally I think really like the guys you really have to like hang your hat on right now. It's like, you know, Scott Lawton, I think is a, a valuable player yeah. for the next few years. Obviously Sean Couturier is a huge player. Uh, mm-hmm. Travis Konechny is an interesting one where we've talked about if he could potentially get traded soon or not. I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I think Travis Konechny is a, a very good player, even though people give him a lot of shit. So I think that's a guy that is important moving forward. And I think Joel Farabee. And then as far as like, you know, Cam York, I think is going to be a very big one. And yeah. then, like, I don't know, if you look at it, like, Brink is going to be important to see how he develops. Forrester. I'm really excited about Brink. Yeah. I really am. Like, He's I, having a year. He is. Like, he could win the Hobie Baker, and then he, he, I mean, he helped the U.S. team win gold at the World Juniors. Like, I, there's something about him. He, he, he and he's a little asshole on the ice, too. Love he's that. just, he likes, when he scores, he celebrates, like, flagrantly. Like, he wants you to know that he just scored on you and you just got sunned, you know, like we need that so bad in Philadelphia. We need that so bad because like, I feel like that's part of what's so great about the the Sixers right now is like, you know, obviously the NBA has got a lot more swag to start with, but like the, the Sixers are like beating teams and letting them know that they're getting their asses whooped. And it's fantastic. Like Joel Embiid is one of the best trash talkers I've ever seen in my life. So to get any amount of trash talk on the flyers would be just thrilling. And they're just so much fun, too. Like, I remember a couple days ago uh, when Tyrese Maxey had that huge game. I can't remember who it was against. I'm drawing a blank right now. But after the game, um, James Harden tweeted, like, a picture <laughs> a picture of Joel Embiid together with Tyrese Maxey. And for some reason, the picture of Joel looked, like, completely just sad, like, really bummed. And Tyrese was looking into his eyes, peering his gaze into his eyes, smiling. And he said... <laughs> He says, when your little brother beat you in 21 for the first time, and it's yes. just like they're having fun. They're like dunking on each other, but like playfully. And it's just, I don't know. There's the Cavaliers like they beat, but like it, it, they're just yeah. a joy right now. Cleveland, uh, Ohio, yet again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's just like there's a joy and a spark and energy. And that's what the Flyers need. Like, you know, there's a lot made about attendance this year and all those issues. I mean, even if this team was this team was bad, but they were fun, bad. Like people would show yeah. up. People are show, aren't showing up because it seems boring. They need an injection of energy. Even if they're bad, as long as they have energy, people will come. Yeah. Well, you did. I do want to bring this up because you just mentioned having a spark on the team. And you also mentioned earlier being uh, very much a part of the tank train. That other train is a, uh... I'm kind of missing right now is the uh, the Wayne train. Wayne you are Simmons. all over these transitions today. And I'm very <laughs> impressed by it. I love it. And uh, yeah, dude, the, the Wayne train hit his thousandth game and, uh, you know, just universal appreciation across the NHL for Wayne Simmons. What a great guy. And I have missed him so much since he left. And, uh, you know, thankfully we at least got a good proper send off for Wayne Simmons. Like I yeah. believe the stadium series game against Pittsburgh at Lincoln financial field was his last game as a flyer. So he got like this big spectacular like game to at least exit the Flyers. And we had that that audio of the guys going like, I'm going to miss you. Like, I think Claude Drew was like, I love you, man, no matter what happens. Like, at least we got all that from him. But it's they knew that it was pretty much the end of Simmons in Philadelphia. It was. And, you know, I'm glad they knew. I'm glad they got to have a proper goodbye. And that game was awesome. That's I think that's the best game I've been to in the past decade for sure. 
In fact, it, it absolutely is the best Flyers game I've been to in the past decade. No doubt about it. And, yeah. like, it's just this team really, that was at least a guy you could always show up and look, you know, I'm going to the Flyers game. Wayne Simmons is probably either going to beat the shit out of somebody, lay a big <laughs> hit, or score a goal. Like, he's going to do something exciting. Yeah, always. And I, I kind of do want to ask you this because, uh, like, I, I miss Wayne Simmons because I always thought that, I had always hoped that if for whatever reason Giroux was no longer here, I always wanted Simmons to be a lifelong flyer. And I wanted him to be like the next captain after Giroux. That was always my like hope, you know, and now that he's gone, what do you, how different do you think this flyers team would be if at all, if he were still on the roster, do you think that he would make much of a difference or do you think, um, you know, it would be basically just par for the course with this team. That's an interesting question, and unfortunately, so much of this is based in locker room dynamics that I'm not really sure if I could answer it. I think this team would be a little bit more likable because I think he was always, and this is no offense to to G or Jake or anybody, but like Wayne Simmons was the heart and soul of those teams. And when he got traded away, there's just a different, different vibe to those teams. And, you know, I always, Claude Drew is a fantastic captain. I think he's one of the great captains of Flyers history, but... It is always interesting to think about, and this is a lot like the the old Rod Brindamore, Eric Lindros debate with captaincy, right? Where, what if Wayne Simmons had been the captain instead of Claude Giroux? Would that have made a difference? Is it all just ceremonial? You know, I, I don't really yeah, know yeah. how the pers- how it works because I don't have that inside perspective in a locker room. But mm-hmm. I know if he had been the captain, he would have been a tremendous captain of this team. And it's... I don't know if the locker room dynamics would be that different. I think this team would still be bad. And a big part of that, unfortunately, is just Wayne Simmons declining skill. He is absolutely a bottom six forward at this point in his career. He's just not the force he used to be. But goddamn, is he a likable player, man? Yeah. And I do like I do kind of wonder how, you know, because I mean, like you mentioned, the locker room dynamics are a big thing that we don't get to see. But I do I think it was Charlie who said it on the flagship show one day, basically like in terms of like the, the voices in the locker room, Giroux was like the good cop. Simmons was bad cop. And I feel like that's something that maybe the team doesn't have right now. I'm not sure if there's a, like a bad cop in the locker room and I'm not even sure if there needs to be a bad cop in the locker room, but I feel like I kinda Simmons like a bad was, cop in the locker room. I think what was that? I kind of like a bad cop in the locker room. Like I, I like a guy who, who holds people account, like not even necessarily a bad cop, but like accountable cop. Yes. And that's exact. I'll be damned if there's, if that's one thing Wayne Simmons didn't do, he held everybody accountable always. And I wonder like if he was still on the team now, would this team be, would, would it still be so easy to just kind of give up in games, you know? Right. Like, would they have gone on multiple 10 game losing streaks if there was a guy like Wayne Simmons going like, get your shit together, boys? Exactly. Yeah. And I know that they had been on a 10 game losing streak with Flyer with um, Simmons on the team. Like that's happened before. But like, would it have happened multiple times? I don't think it would have. Would it, you know, would they still be giving up late leads? They did that when he was on the team before as well. But like, would it be happening as often? And again, this is a total trivial question. There's no way to even answer it. I mean, it's all just completely, you know, subjective. But um, 
I've talked God, about this I, with I Bill like Nats before, and you know, I, I I call it piss and vinegar, right? I think this team needs like a healthy dose of piss and vinegar, like somebody who's really yeah. just going to like not scream at people, but like I think there's a lot of good positive energy in the locker room right now. Kevin Hayes and his pals. They're all like great positive forces. I think Cam Atkinson is one of the the funnest flyers I've seen in recent years. He's a joy. He's a delight. I love Cam Atkinson. Yes. Thank God yeah. we, we saved him from Columbus, our least favorite place in the world, apparently. Oh, God, that would, Jesus Christ. Could you imagine if you had to spend your whole career with the Columbus Blue Jackets? It's a nightmare. Absolute nightmare. But like, right up. You. Yeah you have these great positive forces. And I think like these guys have good friendships. Like I think Farabee's a blast. And like, you know, you got, it had that video that Megan put together the other day where he, uh, they had the clip of him calling Mayhew five by five. Like there's yeah. so much good positive energy, but like, I really would like that guy to hold people accountable and maybe throw over a table when they lose a game, you know, somebody to get really pissed off and let's get our shit together. Let's put on a show for these people. These people paid a lot of money. They deserve this. Yeah. And you know who else did that too? Um, Maybe not quite as much as Simmons would have, but like Shane Gossespierre was also very critical of the team when they were not playing well. Like I remember he would come after, you know, come out after games and basically say like, we suck. We like we are straight up trash right now. And like he would never be shy to say, like, I'm part of the well, not literally say I'm part of the problem, but like he would say, like, I have to be better, this, that, and the other. And he was he would also do the same thing. And now he's gone. So like, I don't know. It's just and then you you also wonder if Ryan Ellis was healthy, would would it be different? There, there's oh, so Ryan Ellis things. is a very that this whole season's different if Ryan Ellis is healthy. Yeah. There's no yeah. doubt in my mind. I think he was a guy yeah. who was great for holding people accountable. And I think the results of those like three games he plays speak for themselves. He was yeah. amazing. And like, yeah, not having and it's a shame because Shane Gostaspear is having a hell of a year out in Arizona right now. He's got 36 points for the Coyotes right now. Yeah, no, they've been, I mean, I mean, they've sucked, but he's been a lot of fun and, you know. It, They're just kind of letting him do his thing. Yeah, wonder what that would have been like if he had gotten to do that in Philadelphia. I mean, it was, it was good for him to get a change of pace, right, and get a change of scenery. But my God, did the Flyers get fleeced in that. They gave him to them. Like, yeah. literally, they gave him and a draft pick. What was it, a second round draft pick? Like, did they really hate? Yeah, it was second round draft pick. Did they really hate him in the locker room that much that they needed to pert? Because the cap hit, I know a lot of people are like, oh, that cap hit. It's like, you can manage with that cap hit. You know, it wasn't the worst cap hit. But, like, the Flyers never really let him do his thing. And, like, yeah, you're going to have some defensive blunders. But when that guy is offensively clicking, he's fucking awesome. And he's dead. he can take over a game. Yeah. I mean, like, and I'm not going to sit here lamenting, you know, dumping Shane Gostas bear because it was his time to go, but I will lament giving away actual resources for getting, for dumping a player. Yes. I almost would have preferred to buy him out. Yeah. It, it just, I don't understand, you know, at that point, it, I, I'd rather have someone making, I think he was making like 4 million a year or something like that. Like four and a half at most. That. Yeah, I'd rather have him making four and a half million and, you know, making some defensive lapses, but, you know, taking part offensively than paying that to Rasmus Ristolainen and him just being bad in general. Well, the, like, the interesting thing with Goss Despair is we really thought after Keith Yandel's first couple games that, oh, OK, so he can do a lot of that stuff we wanted from Goss Despair, but maybe be a little less of a defensive black hole. And my God, were we wrong there? Yeah. 
it's <laughs> so many things, so many things with this team. It's it's well, hard just, to. The thing that drives me nuts about Yandel is like he should be most effective on the power play, right? Like that's obviously the spot for him, and yeah. so many shorthanded goals. Like, I guess I can understand that a little bit because I feel like he tends to, if you're going to be good on the power play, maybe you just have like that overconfidence and you decide to take that little extra pinch, which could potentially allow him to more like odd man rushes shorthanded. But like, I mean, he hasn't been good in literally any area, even including the power play. And earlier on in the season, I thought, you know, I believe it was one game where he had like two or three assists or something in one game. And I was like, oh, okay, I like this. I like Keith Yandel on the power play. But since then, he's just been a black hole for all things good on this Flyers team. And it's just, it's been a complete disaster. And uh, like, I feel like I could deal with some shorthanded goals if he actually scored on the power play, but they can't do anything on the power play. They look worse on the power play than they do at even strength. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I think it was Jordan Hall at NBC sports Philadelphia who tweeted that since uh, like the start of the, the turn of the year, they're like 10% on the power play. They've scored huh. like six power play goals. And I don't know where, when they were scored. Like, I don't remember any of that all. Apparently they happened. It's like, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense how, how they're this bad with Giroux. I mean, they, they still have good play, like Giroux connecting, um, you know, they, they do have effective players and it's just for whatever reason, nothing is clicking on the power play. And it's just, it's so deeply concerning. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely concerning, but just tank for this year. And then maybe whoever the next coach is can just start something anew. Like I really want a, a fresh start in however many respects as possible coming into next season. One-year tanks, baby. They work. I believe in them. I'm down to try them. I'm hoping that they. I'm hoping that they kind of go through with it. But knowing them, they're on a two-game. They're the hottest they've been in months. Two-game winning streak. So now it's just like, now it's like they're probably going to win five in a row or something like that. And kind of. It's all Carter Hart's fault. Why do you have to play so well? Damn it, Carter. <laughs> Chill out, my man. We're trying to get. Uh, we're trying to get. Shane right up in this house. Oh, I mean, I think they're in a good position this year because the Devils at least like keep winning unexpected games. Like they beat Colorado last night, which don't ask me how that happened. Yeah, that was insane. And Montreal's actually done a lot better since Marty St. Louis came in as coach there. He has. And now you got Cole Caulfield going insane, who, uh, in case you forget, was taking the pick after uh, Yam Cork. Maybe just not being able to see your head coach on the bench behind all the players is helping them out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that could be it too. I will dunk on Marty St. Louis size at any time. And it's not because I, I have a dislike towards short people. It's because I have a dislike towards Marty St. Louis because he was part of that lightning team that denied me a Stanley Cup final trip for my old flyers in 0304. Oh, baby. I think I remember you talking about this on an old fly purpley episode. That's one of the most heartbreaking. I think it was probably we were talking about like heartbreaking losses on one of the fuck episodes. And like that was like that team, (laughs) that Keith Primo team, that Simone Gagne team. That was like, you know, a team that you really felt like, okay, this is our year. And they played their hearts out and they lost that seven game series to an immensely talented young lightning team. And St. Louis, what a pain in the ass. Yeah. I've always, I guess for me, so I didn't become a Flyers fan until like 2012. So I'm like kind of of like a newer Flyers fan. Maybe you're the curse. 
I could be. I very well could be. And you know what? If I am, I'll take the responsibility. I will take one for the team and I will root for I will root for Arizona. <laughs> I, will do, I will do whatever it takes to get this team a cup. I don't care. Well, I think you have to root for Pittsburgh if you're going to be cursed because we need them to get as little luck for the rest. I, that <laughs> yeah. team, I, it doesn't matter what happens. They still find a way to the top. It's, oh, I can't They're wait until better. Malkin's no longer on that team. They're better when Crosby and Malkin aren't playing. Have you seen that stat? I can't remember I have what not. they're that's, that's Jesus. They have like a higher winning percentage when those two are not in the lineup, or one of them is not in the lineup. And it the makes- fighting dunks. God. The Enders, man. They get all the good luck. It's insane. Unbelievable. So I do want to ask you, and this is kind of a, f- a fun question. Like we've, it's been so doom and gloom with this team recently. Mm-hmm. I do want to ask. So obviously yesterday there was a pretty gigantic trade in the NFL. Russell Wilson got traded to the Broncos. Oh, wow. Or an insane haul. Wow. And I kind of wonder what would be like an NHL version of that trade? Like, would it be like Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid being traded somewhere? And do you ever, would you think that the Flyers would ever be involved in a trade like that? So that's an interesting question. I think those two guys are like the A tier. And I think you have to get somebody slightly lower, actually. An interesting comparison is Claude Giroux getting traded away from the Flyers right now. Yeah. Because yeah. I think Claude Giroux, he might be slightly below like the level where Russell Wilson is. Like, let's say like of those elite quarterbacks, right? Like Russell Wilson's probably like, he's probably in the second tier. He's a very good quarterback. He's a little older, um, yeah. which is a lot like Claude Giroux, actually. They're probably similar ages even. And I think they're like the same age. I think they're like 34 years old. Yeah, so that's, I mean, it's kind of like Claude Giroux getting traded right now. But maybe somebody, let's say, just due to the importance of the quarterback position in the NFL, let's say it's somebody a little better than than Claude Giroux, especially where he's at right now. I don't think it's Matthews, and I don't think it's McDavid. I, hmm, I might have to look at the top point getter right now and see if I can find it. Maybe it'd be like a... Maybe it'd be like a Steven Stamkos or something, like an older guy who's like obviously very good. Stamkos and, is a good one, and Patrick yeah. Kane is a good one. Although Kane might be better than, say, where Russell Wilson is right now. But, like, I think, well, but Kane would have a huge franchise-altering impact and make a team that maybe wasn't a contender into more of a contender. Right. And that's exactly what Russell Wilson was too. Like he, he was the Seahawks basically his entire time he was there. And so one Stamkos could argue is the guy then. Yeah. Cause Stamkos be for a while was, the, he was the lightning for the longest time until Kucherov really came in. And then yeah. point also has changed the, the equation there considerably. Uh, and Stamkos plays center, which is such an important position because if you can get, I guess the closest NHL comparison well, goalie might be the better comparison, but like maybe Mark Andre Fleury. That's an interesting one too. But that is an interesting. Yeah, maybe. So I would think maybe like a Kane, which I, again I'm loath to even say that name, but you know, we're just going to talk objectively about hockey, so that's what it is. So I think a Kane, a Stamkos, or maybe a Mark Andre Fleury uh, would be an interesting one. Although Chicago has Kane and Mark Andre Fleury, and it ain't helping them. You make a great point. <laughs> They're as bad as they've been in, in a long time. But 
I do wonder, like, if if a trade like that ever were to happen, like, would the Flyers be involved? Like, I know back when Homer was the GM, everyone talked about them being involved in everything. Every big name free agent, every, you know, player on the trade block, they were always in discussions or something like that. Would Chuck Fletcher, and I guess we're not quite far enough into his tenure as GM to know completely because I guess last year I feel like was his first year of really shaking things up. Do you think this summer he would do something as drastic as that to really shake up the roster and do something spicy? I think so. I actually think he thought he was making that move with Ristolainen in the offseason. I know. That's what scares me. It's very scary. I I think he really thought he was getting a game changer with Ristolainen because if you look at the price he gave up, that first rounder plus, you know, he gave up a lot for a guy he really thought like he really thought he made a rock solid defense with Ellis and Ristolainen and the Ellis move. I I wish his health had worked out, you know, and he still got time because that's a, a decent sized contract. So we're going to see, but like the Ellis move was almost a franchise alterer. And, you know, I think Chuck would be involved with something like that if he could be, because I think he's got a little bit of spiciness, not as much as you'd like, but he's got a hint of spice, if you will. I feel like, um, yeah, I, I would love to see some more spice this year. And I, I know the Risto thing, it, like, it freaks me out because I remember him saying, um, I think before or like after the, I, I can't remember exactly when, but he basically said, oh, yeah, I've been looking at Ristolainen for years now. Like, he really, clearly he has like a big attachment to Ristolainen for some asinine reason. And that's, you know, that's kind of what freaks me out a little, but you know, maybe the there's... Fly- I just thought of it. You know what the Flyers equivalent was that they have made at some point in recent franchise history. It was Chris Pronger when Paul Holmgren yeah. acquired Chris Pronger in, I believe it was Oh nine, uh, just before the Oh nine ten season. That was that move. And in fact, the hall was a, a pretty similar hall that he traded to the ducks for Chris Pronger. And was it the Ducks or the Oilers? I think it was the Ducks. I think it was the Ducks too. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, that was, that was the move. That was the big move. And that actually like changed everything for that team because that team really just needed that big name in there to, um, to, to really like, not that big name necessarily, but that, that defensive anchor, right. To really just make that young team that much better, put them over the hump. And he got them to the finals that year and they don't make that final without Chris Pronger and his crafty leadership. So that I think is the best flyers comparison in recent history. So is Chuck Fletcher willing to make that kind of move? I think he is, but will that kind of move be available? Is an interesting. Exactly. Question. Yeah. Will it, will it be available and will it pan out the way he thinks it that's that's I think the two the two big questions. I, I like I was also thinking about the Wayne Simmons trade, but that like that wasn't expected to be like a franchise altering no, thing, but- and it and it wasn't franchise altering. He just turned out to be like a really good fun player for you know how long like six seven years or something. He was yeah on the something Flyers. like that. He was on because yeah. he was on after the big shakeup in 
2012, where they brought in, they, they traded Richards and Carter, and they brought in Bryce Goloff, and that's when they got Wayne Simmons and Braden Shen and Jake Voracek and Sean Couturier. Like, that was the last, like, really huge shakeup of the Flyers, and then they've kind of been trading off those pieces little by little here. So, really, your last big piece, I mean, Sean Couturier's big piece, but he's got a huge contract, and guess what? He's still good. Shut up, Couturier haters. He's going to be here for a while. Claude Giroux, though, this is your your big franchise-altering trade at this point. You could get a, quite a haul for him. So it's going to be a very intriguing next couple weeks. And, you know, stay tuned with us at Broad Street Hockey as these rumors come out and we're going to be tracking them. We're going to be writing about them. And we got a, a, a lot of great people putting out some tangy tent on your <laughs> Philadelphia Flyers in those trade rumors. Content on content. And I believe, if I'm not, if my math is correct about 19 minutes ago, my story about Ivan Provorov just went live. So that is fun. Basically, um, you got to wonder if Provorov's, uh, if he's someone that could be moved this offseason. I don't know if it, it'll happen at the trade deadline. I don't think so because he still has three years left on his, uh, or three years beyond this year on his contract. But anything's possible with this team right now. It's It's just, what a weird time to be a Flyers fan, I feel like. Team needs all the donkey sauce it can get, and this is where Chuck starts gathering his ingredients. Donkey sauce, baby. <laughs> I had I had to get that goddamn Guy Fieri in here. Oh my god! Actually, I'm shocked I didn't drop. I've been watching a bunch of Master Chef on the background at work, and I, I I'm shocked I didn't drop like a Gordon Ramsay like simply amazing. Oh, the most amazing. <laughs> we brought you the most amazing podcast today, and if you have the most amazing feedback. The best place to reach us is on twitter.com.org.edu.ca. You can reach me at Flyperbole or at SDBOM. If it's for hockey purposes, make it Flyperbole. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? can find me on the twitter.com at Ryan Quiggs with a Z. Fantastic. Because I'm, I'm hip like that, mate. I'm hip like that. <laughs> You're a hip Gotta guy. Keep the kids. Yeah. <laughs> I got to keep up with the kids. I, you know, and we actually mean that literally right now because we've got like Eamon and Megan and like literal children on this podcast Actual. on, the, on yeah. this blog right now but they're doing fantastic work uh yeah. so yeah you can find ryan there you can find me there follow bsh radio follow broad street hockey follow broad street hockey on all that other fun stuff follow fly Purpley on instagram blah 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 social media is fun stay safe out there be kind to each other until next time in the words of the great gene hart good night and good hockey wow 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 wow